On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group considers the definitive version of Yes's Awaken. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Ken Gregory and Paul Zotter as we consider which version of the Yes epic Awaken is the definitive one. Gentlemen, welcome, welcome to a a fun uh, a fun episode tonight. Now we've only done this once before, at least in a similar format here on the Palaver, where we we spend an entire episode talking about a single song. Obviously, the time before was "Supper's Ready" by Genesis, and tonight, on the heels of ranking the Yes Epics. And I guess we could have a conversation if we need to do this twice, given the tie that occurred in that episode. Um, but we are considering 1977's Awaken tonight. And there are some interesting, I think the parallels between this episode and the Supper's Ready episode are immediate and apparent. Uh, but the differences are a little bit striking. One of the things that really set, that I think drove the conversation on Supper's Ready was the fact that there was sort of, Supper's Ready can be broadly broken, at least in my brain, into like front half and back half. And while musically, I think a lot of those um, versions, performances, recordings, were similar vocally th- those two sections created differences at least that's how i recall that we did that a long long time ago um when we talk about awaken uh, you know it, it's i i don't think the differences are in a lot of cases quite that dramatic although um we do have a pretty broad breadth of performances that we're going to consider here. And of course, the other thing that we have to sort of wrestle with, and and it's interesting, you know, one of the things that Yes is known for is a revolving door of personnel. And yet, there's going to be a lot of similarities in a lot of these. And, And I guess for the record, we should state that we are, for the purposes of this discussion, considering five specific versions. There are other versions that are available. Uh, We are going to be considering the studio version from the album Going for the One, recorded in 1977. We are going to be considering the performance, the live performance from the Union Tour in 1991, the House of Yes performance from 1999, the Yes featuring Anderson Rabin Wakeman 
performance in 2018 and the Yes 50 Live version also recorded in 2018. So if you, you know, if you look at that, one of the things that, you know, leaps out right away is only one of those versions has a different singer. And that would be the Yes 50 version with John Davison singing instead of John Anderson. So we get to look at um, John through, uh, you know, uh, the, the lens of the years, if we will. Three of those um, feature Rick Wakeman himself. Four of those feature Alan White in various forms and stages. Is is Alan White in fact the drummer on Awaken? In oh, yes, fifty. Uh, that was the one had, song he played, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I think the only one he's not a drummer on is the House of. Oh uh, no, the uh, is ARW exactly. Yeah, yeah. And um, Chris Squire is on three of these performances. He's not obviously on Yes Fifty or ARW. Steve Howe is on four of these. And, you know, so it's, you've got different versions. We've got five, um, six and eight man. Yes. Represented. There's all sorts of different, uh, different sort of varieties going on here. But one of the things that sort of struck me and, and we'll get into in a minute, sort of the, the, the versions that aren't on this list but even when you consider this list, and, and as I was looking for different ancillary material to sort of consider to, to, to flesh out um, this episode, you know, you're like, all right, well, let's, let's, you know, do some, let's look at some covers here. And shout out to our friends in Total Mass Retain. Because much like the pre the uh, previous Yes episode where we were um, ranking Yes epics, you know, a lot of this was sort of inspired by seeing them perform in Philadelphia not too terribly long ago um, in the in the very early parts of 2023 and uh, performing a second set that consisted of. Um, close to the edge, awakening gates of delirium. So that that's why we're talking about this. But one of the things that really struck me as I was watching some of these other, um, some of these other performances beyond the the five that we're considering here, and in some cases within the five, is how singular in terms of their talents are Mr. Wakeman and Anderson, quite honestly. Um, you know, Rick Wakeman does, Rick Wakeman's always done things that what it seemed to be other humans can't do, which is striking, and makes the, <laughs> makes the advent of Igor Koroshev even more amazing. Um, I think he's probably come as close to being Rick Wakeman as anyone I've ever come across. But you can do things as a keyboard player, I think, that can kind of, you know, mask not being Rick Wakeman or play around, you know, the corners or however you want to say it. 
But John Anderson will fucking kill people. And there were a handful <laughs> of covers that I literally, like, as soon as the singing started, I turned them off because I'm like, nope, I'm out, not going to do this. Um, so, you know, it, it's really quite amazing. And and when you talk about, you know, the others, uh, and I'm just kind of, you know, barfing out some some thoughts here, like, guitarists, Steve Howe is singular, as we've talked about throughout all of the Yes episodes, but there are a lot of people that, there seem to be a lot more people that can play Steve Howe than can play Rick Wakeman, just as a as ah. an observation. Um, at least based on what I've seen um, here so far. And, ah. yeah? Well, okay, so I learned a, a lot of things. Uh well, maybe not a lot of things. At least four things I learned um, listening to to Awaken so many times in the last uh, several days. And one of them hearkened me back to, I, I want to say Ken talked about this when we first discussed the Yes album. And I, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase and probably butcher Ken's thoughts, so Ken, may, you know, keep me honest here. But hmm. Ken, you mentioned something to the effect that, you know, Steve Howard is a player. He's he he plays the song, he plays the melody. But each time he plays it, he plays it with the spirit and the passion that's within him at the moment. And maybe the recordings that are captured on some of the songs on the Yes album or any Yes album aren't his greatest performance. But they are the performance that was then, now, and there. And we're not going to go back and punch in, you know, the the fifty seventh note of the of the run that he played and yours is no disgrace because he you know, <laughs> shanked it a little bit. It's okay. He's just leaving it there because that was the performance. And I feel like that comes through in spades, listening to all these different versions, spanning decades of his playing. Every single one of them is different. Yep. Yet every single one of them is uniquely Steve Howe. And, and I, I, I think it's amazing. And, and, you know, so maybe to your point, Joe, that you know, you know, a lot of guitarists, as they do, can listen to the record, can do the tabs, can watch the YouTube videos, and they can produce the the guitar for Awaken or a Yes song. But I don't think anyone uh, can, you know, similar to Rick Wakeman, can can deliver a you know a impassioned and embodied performance like Steve Howe does on all of these. Wow. Um... I, I I adore <laughs> Steve Howe. In our early flavored days, I, I spent a ridiculous amount of time with Clap and, and other songs just trying to understand Steve Howe. Uh, I, I no longer do that because I, I, I realize that uh, there's a reason why Johnny Bruins is here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, this I, I i have two or three points number one this exercise made me really want to see johnny and he played two nights ago of course at daryl's house with the boys and i could not be there um but this exercise really made me appreciate anyone who can adapt what what steve has done 
and 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 reproduce that now the next thing i want to say is i appreciate trevor rabin quite a bit and this exercise really reinforced my appreciation for trevor rabin in his many roles the guitar player role the singer role and the producer role but specific to where you were going with this paul if steve howell was a running back he would be the guy who like dances around other players and hops on one foot to stay in bounds and does miraculous things and throws the ball to himself and runs all 100 yards and and and, and just 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 does these amazing things but when he kind of clunks he clunks like he goes from amazing superstar to kind of a little flat whereas trevor rabin if he was a running back he his feet would always hit the ground he would always have the right cadence he would always have the right pace uh and he wouldn't have the big plays but he would be consistent and he would have form and you could rely on him uh, oh this, joe you're making it. this is this wow. is going way way off base here it's, all, it's always <laughs> dangerous when ken gregory starts with the, so, with the football analogy see do i you, I, do I, you, I would argue i in in this in this metaphor i would argue that steve howe is the three yards in a cloud of dust type running back and in fact trevor rabin is the is the Barry Sanders running back? But that's me. You're kidding. Oh God, I am All not right. kidding. Come on, look at I. I, so I don't want to. I don't want to bag on Steve because I love me. Steve. And 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 the basic point that started this, I think, is very valid, right? And and the like, maybe the point I was trying to make is that there are a lot of people who technically, in terms of recreating notes in the right order in the right mm -hmm. time, can do what Steve does. You're absolutely right in that Steve's sort of emotive nature is what sets him apart, and we've we've covered that, right? That's that is yeah. kind of Steve's magic thing. I don't think there are many people who have the dexterity to recreate what Rick Wakeman made look so easy. Right. And, 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 you know, that's, that's my point. And, and one of the most amazing things about Rick Wakeman in this exercise also is you get to hear his own interpretations of his, his own masterfulness of this song. Right. So he's not necessarily going back and playing it note for note. He is, he is playing what only Rick Wakeman can do. He can do all the notes plus anything else that he feels like doing, you know, and, and it's, um, okay. it is, it's really fantastic. The thing that I, I think is brilliant about Trevor Rabin is that he is smart enough, I think, and adept enough to say, yeah, I'm not going to play this like Steve Howe because I've never been Steve Howe and I've been, I've been ridiculed for it, blah, 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 but I'm going to do this the way that I do it. And I think it's an, an incredible ability that he has to influence to stay this, in his lane this song yes and influence in it a way 
that is 100% Trevor Rabin. It's 100% Then, then, then what's wrong with my analogy? Because my analogy is like, he's the guy that does what he can do. He contributes and he doesn't, doesn't go for a miracle. Where I think Steve is always going for a miracle. And when he flubs, he flubs. I don't know. I don't think he's going for a miracle in, in Yes 50. I think he said, guys, I've been playing this song too fast for about 50 years. <laughs> All right. Well, well, I don't. I don't want to make this about note execution entirely. I want to bring right. in. I want to bring in delays. Um, uh, untimed delays are still timed delays. We're just this, out of time. The, yeah. The, once a song is recorded with an untimed delay, the audience will always expect that untimed delay, and and that's what I feel is happening with uh, the guitar in the first half of Awaken. I mean. Uh, uh, it's it's and Paul. You must relate to what I'm saying. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of slapback on Steve's guitar, and it doesn't necessarily enhance the rhythm or the, the metric of it all. It's it's there as a, just a fantastical filler, but it never sounds in time to me. He's shooting off a lot of notes, and it's coming back with a lot of delay. And and I gotta say, um, uh, while while I'm talking about delay. There, there, there's a lot of delay on the vocals too, and 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 it's interesting to see how that's uh, recreated or not recreated live in these different versions. Sticking with the the, the the whole guitar thing, it's about the execution of notes. It's about the, the the metric, the rhythm delay, and 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 of course just the sound in itself. Yeah, because it's such a guitar like like just just cutting to the chase. What guitar sound is the best on all of these? Oh, did you want an answer right now? Oh, is that gonna is that gonna screw the rankings? Okay, I don't, I, no, 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 I don't want to break your secret. No, well, no, it, it and and I I ask it that way because one of the other general points that I wanted to make about this song that is, it was surprising to me, although it probably shouldn't have been. How often in in the Yes catalog are we talking about, you know, what Chris is doing? You know, all eyes are always on Chris. And this is, you know, this is the famous song where he's got his triple neck, you know, with the fretless and the fretted and then whatever is on the top of that damn thing. Honestly, for all of that, this is a fucking Steve Howe guitar song. It's yeah. all about yeah. Steve Howe and, yeah. and or the guitar. And, and And that's a little, you know, when you think about a yes epic, you know, it's usually about, everyone getting their turn in the spotlight and everything else. And there's some of that here, but this is really the, I mean, the original studio version is driven by, by Steve. And so I find that to be a little shocking. Well, it's rumored that Patrick Mraz helped to write some of this and, you know, with, with the splitting of the keyboard uh, to Mraz being out and Wakeman being back, the keyboard player didn't have much say, I guess this was already done by the time yeah. Rick well, got in here. What I find interesting is that there are so many parts in the ARW version where Trevor just doesn't, either one doesn't even bother to play the guitar and just lets uh, Rick carry the melody even when the melody is the guitar, right? Rick kind of swings in and does the guitar. Or Steve is playing sort of at a counter rhythm Right to like somewhat to your point, Ken, with between the counter rhythms and the delays, it never really sounds like Steve's on time. 
and he seems to play differently each each live version. <laughs> but 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 Trevor just does just plays with Rick. Like he doesn't he doesn't do those counter rhythms. He just whatever melody he's playing, whether he's in harmony or playing a separate separate thing, he's he's playing it in the same rhythmic cadence that that Rick does. And um, it, it's an interesting it's an interesting affect, I think. Um, and and you know while we're talking about this, I, I'm not I can't resist to just throw this out here that imagine being the one person on the stage. Okay, you got. Steve Howe doing all of his acrobatics and all of his crazy tone things. You got Trevor, who knows what he's really doing. Uh, the the bass and Rick Wakeman's got his thing going. John Anderson's pounding away with a big tambourine and, and singing. Chris uh, Alan White is just demolishing the drums. What is what is poor Bill Bruford left to do on the Union stage? And, <laughs> and I, as soon as I started listening to it, all I, I could just picture him shaking his ass, and it's just like, wait, so you didn't wait? You didn't watch it? I didn't watch it. No, I, I just listened to it because <laughs> that is exactly You're what kidding. Bill Bruford is doing through most of this performance. <laughs> oh my god! I'm just sitting there oh listening, god. going, "This poor guy." Like he's he's the most influential drummer of progressive rock, and he's just sitting there going, <laughs> <laughs> shaking his little booty. Yeah, it's oh. it's it's, and and we'll get there when we get there. But you know, and Tony K is right next to Bill Bruford in the video version, and so like the two of them are just kind of like, oh, well, whatever. What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh, it's, um, it's funny. Okay. Okay. Speaking of modifications for Union Live, Trevor is doing like some kind of a Dave Gilmore solo in the breakdown. Is that oh, what I'm hearing? Yeah, we got, we'll get to that because that, ooh, yeah, that's something. So a couple different things that I wanted, uh, that I did want to point out quickly, just generally speaking, we, we went into great detail on this, on the going for the one episode, but when we talk about tones throughout this little, this, this night's uh, episode, we have to go back and once again, give huge props to the Swiss telephone lines. The quality thereof. <laughs> that, that organ sounds freaking phenomenal. And it, it's just kind of funny seeing how people, reproduce that or try to or don't or whatever it's it's fascinating to me so i think as we go through this and and you guys already touched on this right the the differences here are really going they're they're going to rely on performance yes but also on tone variation and and then as you get into six and eight man yes like you know what do you what extra stuff are you putting in there, um, you know, and, and how all that works? So we do have, as we mentioned, a couple of um, of honorable mentions that weren't considered in the in in our final list, um, simply because you know, um, just I, I, accessibility. Yeah, well, one of them is is because well, I forgot. I, <laughs> to, no, I, I forgot mean, one. Too. I mean, we I all mean, forgot the the other one. Chicago, nineteen seventy nine, is essentially a board recording that wasn't 
really up to snuff for this exercise. And and, and it, it although in my defense, I specifically asked if we were doing that one, and I think, well, I guess Joe, you never confirmed it. I, I, you just I just went, well, there it is. I just yeah. yeah, I just didn't answer you. Okay, there are multiple versions from two thousand three on YouTube. One of which is erroneously labeled as symphonic, which two thousand three was huh. not symphonic. That was when Rick Wakeman came back into the fold. And I think I saw at least three different recordings um, from that tour. And then 2013, you know, and, and here's, here's another tie-in, right? Because one of the guest stars of the Supper's Ready episode was Todd Mobile. Huh. So imagine my surprise when in 2013... Apparently, John Anderson decided to spend an evening with Todd Mobile, and this was one of the songs they performed. So mm -hmm. I, I think we're now in a position, if we ever want to do this again, if there isn't a Todd Mobile version, I don't think we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I, well, I, I think for the rankings, we've basically changed our standards. We've moved the, moved the goalpost. Uh, uh, it used to be we would take... And a thing like Todd Mobile and include it, but but now we're we're kind of enforcing that you have to have two or three members of the band to actually be a version. I think. I guess that's true. I would have loved to have considered that, but I totally forgot about it until you brought it up tonight. Well, um, and 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 I think Ken, the way you're describing it is is absolutely accurate. But I will tell you, and and Paul, you made reference to this, right? So. You know, I'm assuming you guys have all done the same thing. You know, we've literally probably spent the last five to seven days listening to different versions multiple times of a 15 to 20 minute song. It's hard. It, it is hard. I, I was staying away from Todd Mobile because it wasn't part of the, the conversation. I listened to it an hour before we got on air. Ah. And I was completely enraptured. I am, yep. I am convinced that if it had been included, it would have been the top of my list without even thinking twice about it. It is sublime. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, mm -hmm. they've got like 85 people up on the stage to do right. this. Right. Um, but, you know, even that being said, and, and part of the reason that I was, I was, you know, harping on the, the technical aspects of the guitarist is the guitarist from Todd Mobile fucking slays it and mm -hmm. makes it look like easy. You know, if there's one sort of draw, well, I'm not even going to say it a drawback. The keyboardist comes pretty damn close in terms of technical execution in Todd Mobile, but the sounds, holy shit. Uh. The organ sounds in that, in the back half of that song, on that performance, mind blowing. Mm. Mm. Okay. Yeah. As a as a tie into that, I would say the fourth thing that I learned uh, through this exercise is that there is currently no limit to the number of times I can listen to Awaken and still not want to keep listening to it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh boy! I, I thought this one might push me to the edge, but nope. Nope. Didn't didn't quite get there. Oh. I mean, it, 
It took us what six weeks to get over Operation Mindcrime, so you know, I, yeah. I'm sure there's a limit. I wanted to very quickly <laughs> go through the the five official entrants um, and just kind of go through the, the lineup and because we're talking about yes epics, the timing. So going for the one, obviously um, featuring Wakeman, White, Squire, Howe, and Anderson. It's the shortest version, clocking in at 1538. Just barely made our criteria for being included in the epics conversation um, in the previous episode. Union is the eight-man conglomeration of Wakeman, White, Rabin, Squire, um, Kay, Howe, Anderson, and Bruford. Perhaps not unsurprising, it comes in at um, one of the longest, at 1926. House of Yes, um, six-man, yes. White, Sherwood, Squire, Koroshev, Howe, and Anderson. It's a trim 1735, yes, featuring ARW, which is Wakeman, Rabin, and Anderson with Molino and um, Pomeroy. 2234. Yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. all that all that emotional drama movie bullshit that's in there. Yeah. Oh, you're really and, not pulling any punches. And uh and yes 50 <laughs> live, which is Sherwood White slash Shellen, because I want to say, I mean, we were there. I want to say Alan was on the kit, but uh, Jay Shellen yeah. came out to shake things and, and whatnot. He was he was sort of playing the role of Bill Bruford. Yeah. That, uh, so anyway, Sherwood, White, Shellen, Downs, Davison, and Howe. Um, and that clocks in at 18 minutes and 19 seconds. That that is that's on pure tempo alone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> And and I guess the one last sort of general thing to to say before we go into it, and we've all um, is that I think we honestly looking at the videos that I looked at because I you know at some point you have to sort of see things. We could probably do an entire episode on what configuration of tambourine John Anderson uses throughout the year. <laughs> Because oh, it's, no. <laughs> it's really quite, you know, like he's got he's got double tambourines. There was a triple tambourine. There was like a double or triple with with extra bells all over it. There was the the big stick with the sleigh. I mean, there's been all kinds of shit. So, <laughs> and 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 I am always fascinated um, as well with how the different how different bands, whether it's through time or, or personnel or, or whatever, deal with the the harp part. So that's just sort of a, a complete aside. We had agreed amongst ourselves that the way we would attack this is to go through chronologically and talk about the different performances. And then at the end, we'll give our rankings um, from low to high and we'll put it into the, uh, the golf score algorithm and see who pops out. Fair? Yes. All right. So... Going for the one, and Ken, you sort of touched on, you know, the fact that 
some of this was started when Patrick was Pat, Patrick Mraz was still in the band. Rick came in, you know, put his fingerprints all over it. It's interesting though to me that the intro to this song up until um like, you know, maybe the first 30, 60, maybe even 90 seconds, it does have sort of a close to the edge feel to it in terms of sort of whooshy ambient sort of synthy noises coming in and around everywhere. But obviously once you get into the song, it, it goes somewhere totally different. But I, I was just, I hadn't really, that hadn't hit me before. I started listening to all these uh, versions in headphones and I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, so one of the, if I can, yeah, I'll throw in that you know the <clears throat> one of the first things that I learned about Awaken is you know a lot of those ethereal so sounds that that I always had associated. I mean, I mean uh, to this day after hearing it so many times, with some sort of synthy, you know, sort of keyboardish kind of thing, I realized that it's really guitar, really, and it's you know guitar through phase, like some sort of phased and. And I think in the in the um, might even be in the um, the yes fifty or even maybe the, the um, house of yes. Uh, someone I think it's the house of yes. I think Steve is arpeggiating it, or possibly Billy is you know arpeggiating it and and giving that that um, texture to it. Um, I think the way it was done on the album in in '79 is it's the you know that arpeggiated that's kind of faded in and out yeah. with uh, some pretty significant phase and and reverb. But that was that was kind of what what shocked me, and a, a lot of it was because of the 1979 version because you know board recording may not be the best, but you can hear everything, and it's mm -hmm. it's um it's you realize cool. how so, Steve's working the entire time, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at the end, that that is section is the most stunning for me, for Steve. Just the sound he gets on on the on, on the very end there. So it's interesting that you talk about Steve's sound um, because you know Steve's tone here, and it's funny when if you don't listen to it and you close your eyes and you think about going for the one as an album, you think of very beautiful things. You think of Awaken and Wonder Stories and all that kind of good stuff. But again, Steve Howe is, is right on the edge of making you climb up walls with his tone. Um, he's not, it, it's certainly a step back from, from Relayer, but it is there, which I find to be interesting. The other Meaning thing, he's, he's, he's always dialing in a tone with uh, uh, that frequency range that just kind of pokes you in the eardrum. He, it, it's almost as if he's gone his whole career thinking that people can't hear him and he's overcompensating <laughs> for that. It, Your laughter speaks volumes. Yes, I mean, I mean, he, he's always going the extra distance just to make sure he pops out of the PA. Well, and he certainly, he certainly did that on this recording. The other thing that sort of hit me about this, and, and again, when we went through the Yes catalog, initially, I don't know that I would have picked this out um, just because of the sequential way we were doing it. But but listening to this studio recording, it, you know, and one of the big things that that we did talk about was, you know, in in drama and certainly into nine hundred one two five, and you know when when Chris and Alan White sort of melded themselves into this 
totally boss unit. And I think you can start to sort of feel that here. And I think it it really kind of, to me, it sort of leapt out that that maybe this was really, you know, the beginning of that phase of, of Chris and Alan mm-hmm. really sort of settling in with each other and, and sort of, you know, almost becoming, you know, one rhythmic being, which is absolutely wonderful. Very good observation. Now, peak Chris Allen is clearly drama. Clearly, don't don't fight me on that. But no. but this made th- 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 this was the uh, the precursor. Yeah, I, I think I think you can start to hear it. Whereas if you you know if I think about um, tails and relayer, you know I think there were there were drum parts and there were bass parts, and they weren't sort of operating, you know, together. Whereas mm-hmm. clearly, you know, in, in drama, they were. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the going to the one version is flawed in the tone, but, you know, it, it may be the best representation of the song, not to give anything away on my, on my <laughs> part. Um, well, it's, and, it's, and the fact that it's so yes. beautiful, even with the flawed tone, I mean, it, it's amazing. It yeah, is so and, beautiful. Yeah. And, and and one of the things that's amazing about to me about the the guitar part is that you know it is you know in in uh, Gates of Delirium it's it's really grating, but you're you're in a war, you know. Yeah. So it it it's like there you go. It's taking you somewhere. Here you're in a you're in a rebirth, right? But you're going. You you have to go through whatever you have to go through to to, to you know become reborn. And I feel like the the freneticness and, and the, the the twelve string. I can't decide if it was recorded with a twelve string electric on or an octave effect or what. But um, I whatever it is, it's. I mean, it 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 takes you there, right? And yeah. so I think it 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 gives you that delivery. Cool. Anything else generally on the original studio version? I, I, I do think that one of the most charming things about the original version, and this is just kind of obvious, duh, is that there isn't any extra nonsense, right? Like the last little guitar riff, the ding, ding, boom. That's the Miller Beer line, right, Ken? Yeah, he's not like playing the first trill like three times. Right, and when John Anderson goes, "Here we can be," he doesn't go, "Here we can be," right? Like, which is all fine and dandy, and I'm sure in the moment it's fantastic, right? But you know, in in the recording, you're just like, "Nah," you know, it's just a little bit of wanking, you know. Yeah. That's all. There's some charm in that. Yeah, no, I, I I think that's very valid. Which, uh, so if we're gonna go from no wanking, let's move on then to union. <laughs> <laughs> Now it and and it's actually very funny because again I made mention that generally speaking the the union performance um is just a fucking wank fest from top to bottom it's it's ridiculous how long all the songs are um and and all the different solos and everything else it's it's just completely undone and so in that lens actually I think this band is rather restrained and focused on Awaken, and I'll give them props for that. Of course, I fell out of my chair to see Steve busting out a Steinberger. What? But 
when you when you listen to the tone, it's like, oh yeah, that kind of makes some sense. Um, I, I just I I don't know that I remembered that Steve had that. Now, when we saw the Union tour, I want to say the Union tour was in the round, was it not? Yep, it was. I I, I should probably just leave it at that. Was um, a a a was that in the round? No, no. ABWH was not in the round. How? Where our our seats were weird. We were second level, middle of the second level. Were we on like the Tony side or something? I think the spa- the stage like spun around. Didn't yeah, it? it rotated. And yeah. and, and I point no. that out because on the video that I was watching, and I didn't watch the whole concert video this time. I haven't watched the whole concert video in probably eight months. But certainly for the Awaken section, it looks like a standard stage. They're all sort of on one side together, which is weird. So I don't know if the video was different, but when we saw them, they were certainly in the round. And literally, Paul, my second note under the Union section here is, Bill is doing his boogie thing. Wow. That's such a shame. <laughs> um, and, and you know, just to be up front, and, you know, here again, I don't want to, I don't want to harp on sort of the negatives here, but sometimes you have to point them out. And and I think it's it's well known, you know, at this point, John sounds a little strained here. This doesn't seem to be as easy for him as it was earlier, and perhaps it will be later. Um, so I, I'll point that out. And then, yeah, so Ken, I don't know if... Were you talking about what Trevor was doing during the last um, high vibration part, where he's just, you know, working these little arpeggios constantly? or scales, or whatever the fuck he's playing, and it's just, it's very, very unnerving. Because normally the only thing you have in that section is Steve on the lap steel, and Trevor's just, like, mudding up the waters. And and as if that's not bad enough on the video... Well, it, it starts to... earlier than that. It's... Yeah. it's... <laughs> and then, and yeah. then a guitar solo, like, comes out of nowhere that... <laughs> You're not expecting, <laughs> right? Am I not crazy? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And it's like, yeah, yeah it, it's almost like, all right, well, Trevor, you can throw in a solo here because, you know, C's been doing his thing on the rest of it. Um, right. it but during the, the last high vibration part, when Trevor's doing that scaly thing, um, it, it, it's not bad enough that he's doing it and it's very distracting to me. The camera stays on him doing that forever there's also a really weird aspect of that whole harp section in the union performance in that and and i think i i vaguely remember this but sort of watching it from a video perspective is very weird because john had his big olias of sun hillow sort of deathly hallows thing yeah that was like coming down out of the rafters and that was the only thing that was lit on the stage and it was just kind of like floating around up there. And it was just, it was very, very weird. Um, 
It, it sure it made sense to him at the time. And, and the only other thing I I have here is you know when we're talking about sounds and everything else, you know Rick's organ sounds during that harp bit are like pfft, non-existent. They they really just don't have the impact that a lot of the other performances have in terms of that. So mm. it, it's, it's a, I know, I, I know the eight man. Yes. You know, gets a lot of grief, you know, the union album being, you know, what it was and not actually eight person, Yes. And and I myself was ragging on the bloated nature of a lot of the performances um, throughout the rest of that show. But when you think about just the, the sheer musical horsepower that was on that stage, it blows the mind. Yeah. 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 I only listened to this version one time. And um, I mean, it's terribly flawed. Um terribly however well. however like you know, i mean one of the reasons i only listened to it once was because y- you know like everything you just said about the um the eight man yes they did put on a tour and they seemed to genuinely have a good time together when yeah. they did it and and uh you know if you think about the evolution of yes up to that time right there had sort of been the hiatus with asia and everything else happening and then 90125, Big Generator, ABWH in there, and then the whole Union album debacle. But, you know, they had, you know, ABWH kind of brought back Close to the Edge. In my experience, to yes, that was what really what brought Close, Close to the Edge to the... And then they brought Awaken out for the Union tour, which brought that to the center of my consciousness. And... The, you know, in both both circumstances, with Close to the Edge and Awaken, the first time I had seen either ABW, uh, ABWH or the Union Tour, I was not quite as familiar as I should have been with those songs. But then the second go around, I was hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, and I still have visions of those crazy um, arching lights that came down around the round. Right during yeah. the last, dun, 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 dun. like, I mean, burned into my memory, and so I I couldn't listen to that anymore because I didn't want to tarnish that beautiful uh, gateway memory into into that song. So that's all I'll say. I'll just reiterate what I said um, in our chat. The Union recording has a perfect two minute and 16 second intro <laughs> where, where I'm, I am so psyched. The keyboards sound beautiful. John sounds beautiful. And then the loudness wars begin. Yep. And you, you can, you can tell that the, the folks actually recording and mixing the album were just doing everything that they could to stay above water. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a miracle that they captured any of those recordings on tape just it, probably just the the sheer amount of 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 cables <laughs> the sheer amount of crap going on just just to make that happen and it's really only um is it is it 14 years after it was recorded it, i mean i mean it, yeah. it's it's not like they forgot it uh, <laughs> they were just <laughs> they just took a lot of liberties with it 
Oh boy. Yeah, it, 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 it's interesting, no doubt about it. But you know, and the te- the tempo's still hot, right, Paul? Yeah, the tempo's fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's spirited. It made me feel good. Yeah. Uh, if it, I if if I didn't scrutinize what was going on, and, and I think spirited takes us into the next <laughs> performance pretty well, which is which is House of Yes. Now, again, I seem to recall when we covered the latter on our original uh segment on yes we were you know there there's a palpable energy to the latter that we hadn't sort of experienced um for a while with yes perhaps and i think that's carried through in this performance i I made you know mention at the top of the show of you know igor you know, being as close uh, a Rick analog as you're going to find. And I think, you know, he, one of the, one of the observations that I've made about Igor and I will continue to make about Igor is I think for the most part, not only is Igor technically able to pull off Rick Wakeman parts, Igor generally tried much harder to recreate Rick's studio sounds than Rick has ever done himself. I mean, um, you could say that for Jeff and everyone other than Rick, right? Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say that about everyone. I'm going to say it about Igor. Um, and and I think that's almost to Igor's detriment, right? Because Igor almost pays too much homage to the, to the master. Um, and, and, and it it could have the ability to overshadow his own ability, but be that as it may, you know, Igor does, he does the, the intro a little bit differently, which, you know, doesn't really bother me here. Um, I think the, the backing vocals here with the addition of Billy, but still with Chris and Steve um, really, really works. And I think that's, you know, that's one of the things that really hit me about this. And we'll talk about this, you know, at the end of this list. We talked in previously, you know, there there are certain certain recipes in, in Yes Music vocally that are good. And, you know, John and Chris, and I've really come to appreciate Steve Howe you know, younger Steve Howe as a, as a backup vocalist um, works really, really well. And John and Chris with Trevor works really well. And, you know, here you, you spread some Billy in and, and that seems to work okay. When you start mixing, <laughs> when you start changing those recipes, I'm not so sure things are going to work so well all the time. Really? Yes. Okay, so I don't know why. I don't know why. Anytime anyone talks about Steve Howe's vocals, <laughs> I, I, I always watch back to that Today Show performance of him singing Roundabout. <laughs> it wasn't. It, it, it wasn't. He chose to sing some harmonies in places where people needed to hear melodies in it. <laughs> it but it was. It wasn't musically bad. It was just. Yeah unexpected and unconventional it was jarring i I, (laughs) it was i I think i think steve's voice is not what you expect to hear front and center no but but having 
having experienced the jarring sort of, you know, fly from here, Steve Howe singing lead type thing, and then sort of being able to sort of back calibrate. And you go into older recordings and you're like, oh, yeah, there's that's what Steve's doing. Or you you know, you know watch concert videos from from, you know, the the 70s or the 90s or whatever. And you're like, oh, OK, I see what Steve yeah. was actually doing here. Um, and, and, and props to it. So I, I think, th- I think the backing vocals are good. One of the things that really struck me about the house of yes performance, yeah. honestly, is Alan White seems fucking crisp in, in this mm. performance, mm. um, which I thought was, was really, really good. All of that being said, I'm not a hundred percent certain. And I, I had, I didn't watch the video for this. I only listened to the the audio so i'm not 100 certain what exactly billy is doing throughout all of this but be that as it may i think overall house i didn't even know he was there <laughs> <laughs> I, I think overall this is a, i i find this to be an excellent performance by a really good lineup and i i appreciate it yeah you hit a lot of my points joe that the um igor is fantastic um he's a little quiet in in the mix in many places um but the thing that i loved about the latter version of of yes um the the tour that they did for open your eyes and then the the tour that they did for the latter which is when this was um when this was um recorded is that the um, the the energy that that Igor and Billy bring to the band, like you said, it it seemed to, you know, like I I I think it's like you know we've talked about Chris Squire as being like the human catalyst, like you know no matter what's going on, you sprinkle a little bit of Chris Squire, and all of a sudden it becomes brilliant, and and you know I think collectively Igor and Billy, at least I credit them with sort of doing that to the whole band, right? They just kind of elevated everybody because. You know, they were doing things that I think they, you know, the, the band had forgotten about, right? Like, they've been playing these songs for so long. You know, Billy's like, hey, don't you remember you used to sing, you know, Give Peace a Chance in the middle of uh, Your Move, right? And um, and he would sing that. And it was awesome to hear that because you wouldn't always hear that when you when you saw them play it live. And mm-hmm. and I think that it, it kills on the vocals here because Billy's there. And I do think Billy's playing a lot of uh, secondary guitar kind of things that, that um you know behind i think he was he's doing some things there are some places where he's doing a little too much i think i'd rather hear more igor but yeah it's one of my favorite versions because you know they were doing some of my favorite versions of every yes song um when i saw this tour and and on this uh, on this compilation so it's it's one of my favorites where do we get peak chris vocals in all of these awakened versions is it somewhere around here I mean, other than the original. I think, I, I mean, I, I would say that that this one may be the best vocal performance of yeah. all of them. I have to laugh every time Chris enters. It's, it's, the, it's, it's one of the most startling backing vocal entrances in the Yes catalog. The way he pops in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, 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 it's it's creative and, and sometimes when the backing vocals are a little too loud it 
scares me. But you know, I, I, I get excited. The juices start flowing once I hear Chris's voice. Maybe jumping ahead a little too quickly. Uh, but when I hear Billy do it in Yes 50 Live, I have to laugh. Because <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's nothing anyone would write other than Chris. It is such a Chris. It, Chris was always finding ways to be independent of John. <laughs> just just to <laughs> just to assert his creativity and his own juices and i think i think chris really got a kick off of that just 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 being a backing vocalist but entering on something unique like that and he, it adds rhythm to it it adds motion to it yeah it adds something really exciting he he, yeah. he, he wasn't uh, uh random and, and it certainly wasn't you know, overly gratuitous. I mean, he, he, he was actually contributing in, in that way. But uh, I love the, the, the vocals in uh, House of Yes. And I still love the vocals in ARW for what it's worth. Just to do the honorable mention again, it really made me appreciate the chorus in, in Toddmobile. Yeah. Just really, really incredible what Toddmobile was able to do with Chris's vocals. Yeah, I, and that that's a good good call out on the uh, the Toddmobile thing because they uh, the the arrangement generally in Toddmobile is exceptional on I, I thought on on all counts, um, but but yeah, and, and it, it's is it's interesting um, when you talk about the backing vocals, and I, I don't know if it's surprising that ARW sounds so good. Um, I don't know that it it really is. Um, and if we're done with House of Yes, we can get into ARW and and consider that because I think that is, you know, that that's an an, an interesting situation yeah. here. It it is. I'll say one thing about the other honorable mention, nineteen seventy nine Chicago, is that some of those backing vocals are absent. Um, it still seems like sometimes there are you know, either too concerned about playing or in certain spots or, you know, the sound person forgot that there were backing vocals there. <laughs> um, it's um, when they're there, they're, they're, they're terrific, but, but there's, um, it seems to me at least in listening to it, it seems, seems as though they're sporadic. Although John Anderson is magnificent in that, um, like magnificent in his, in his, uh, grittiness, you know. I think we've talked a little bit about his presence in his vocals, and sometimes the grit that he has in his voice. Not for nothing, we can cut this out. It, it I don't, never, you know. You always think of John as, oh, you know, the sprinkling dust of, you know. You listen to his performance vocally in 1979. You're thinking, damn, this dude was pro was seriously getting laid every <laughs> night. <laughs> <laughs> Not where I thought you were going to go with that. <laughs> But but I do, and Paul, I think that is an excellent point that we will bridge over ARW into Yes Fifty to to cover. Okay. Um, so so let's go into ARW. Um, fast forward, what's that? Almost almost thirty years. Twenty seven? Is that it? Twenty seven years. That's amazing. John Anderson, and we've we've talked about his sort of late stage career um, resurrection, if that's the word you want to use. John Anderson, for the most part, sounds phenomenal. Um, 
Oh, yes. On, on this. Here, here is something peculiar, though. I don't know if this is where you're getting at, Joe. But listening to these in succession, as I have been doing. Yes. This is the only version of Awaken that has been rekeyed that is, to a lower. That is correct. Yep. And you can uh, you can thank the brilliance of Trevor Rabin because he's like, I ain't fucking playing Steve Howell's guitar parts. <laughs> so I don't need any of these open strings. You, we can put it in any key you want. <laughs> but but mm. that being said, um, yes, it's keyed down, but it's he's. He still sounds oh, beautiful. He sounds absolutely phenomenal, and yes, um, I think, and and Ken, the the 2013 Toddmobile version is not keyed down, right? I, I don't. Oh, it 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 sounds it pitched to me. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, but but John there sounds even better, I think, than he does yeah. here. Yeah. Um, so, so here let, we were we, we sort of started getting into the backing vocals here with ARW. So one of well, the it's a lot easier to sing uh, one song with a mini orchestra than it is to you know belt out an entire set. Back to ARW though, one of the the interesting things about when ARW came together is, as I recall the story, Trevor brought his drummer Lou Molino. And Rick brought his bass player, Lee Pomeroy. And so essentially, one of the things that sort of struck me, Paul, I remember the first time we saw ARW down in Austin, was how much singing Lou actually did. Presumably, mm. and, and I, I hate to make this sound as trite as it's going to sound, but presumably, Lou was Trevor's drummer for certain things singing not least among them would be my guess right and and, yeah. and so we already know that john plus trevor works very well so you know presumably you know whatever connection trevor and and lou had kind of worked as well so i i wasn't really as surprised that the the backing vocals in arw sound as good as they do Paul, you, before we even got here, sort of poo-pooed the, um, I forget exactly how you called them. I refer to it well, as the Conan bits, <laughs> as in Conan the Barbarian. It always makes me think of that type of movie. I don't know why. It, so it's very, it's very movie soundtrack-esque. Yeah. Right? And I referred to it earlier as like soundtrack bullshit. Because I thought it, Activision released Awaken. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I remember seeing it live and thinking, oh, that's fucking great. And it, and it doesn't bother me. It's like, I, I, I shouldn't call it bullshit because it, to me, it's, a, it's at once over the top. But at the same time, it is, like I said, it is Trevor influencing this in a way that is purely Trevor, yeah. right? purely trevor at this stage in his career he's done umpteen million movie soundtracks and he's he's delivering it and even you know i i, I don't mean to criticize when i say like he's not playing steve how steve how guitar parts he's not playing the counter rhythms he's he's playing more with rick than at counterpoint with rick he's playing more a unison part or or a unified part with him rather than two different instruments inter intermingling 
and I, it's it's it is the perfect Trevor Rabin version of Awaken, which I think is genius, and it 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 brings the, it brings the singularity, if I can say that that is Trevor, if you can say that. Yeah, he's always been to me more like more like David Gilmore than a Steve Howe, right? And it comes out in yeah. some ways here that we, you may not like, but it is it is he and he does it in a way that is inescapably Trevor Raven, which unfortunately doesn't is not how it, it is perceived by me when I listen to Jeff Downs or John Davidson do do this song, right? Like they yeah they 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 they, they just fall a little short. So I think it's genius even though it you know something you know, <laughs> driving in the car I did find it a little jarring. I was like, oh shit, that's right, I forgot they did that. <laughs> so with with regards to to those parts, because it, it shows up sort of twice. It's interesting. ARW starts with the sort of harp intro into a few bars of the the soundtrack Conan stuff. And before they go back and actually start the song, and then when you get in, like before you switch into the harp part, they have this big bombastic um, thing in the middle, which, you know, adds a lot of drama to it. And, and, and I agree with everything you said. The, the one question that I would have is, does it actually, it's cool, undeniably, but does it actually add anything to the song? Is it consistent with the song? And I struggled to answer that in the affirmative. Yeah, I, I agree. It was fun when you saw it live as ARW and you were thinking, how are they going to reinterpret Awaken? <laughs> You know, it was fun and it was certainly powerful, but I agree with you. I don't, you know, we were t you know, talking about the guitar and taking you through the rebirth. I don't think that, that it adds anything to the song. I love it. It's a great experience. It's great driving music. I'm maybe even a little bit more thrilled collectively than you guys are. Uh, where it kind of lost me was some of the jungle drums. Mm -hmm. Uh didn't need to be as loud in the mix or as persistent or the duration of the jungle drums didn't have to be as, quite so long. It really does have that soundtrack effect. I, I do marvel at how they pull it off without Chris or Billy doing backing vocals. I mean, uh, Lee sang as well. That, that, that yeah. group was incredible. They had four vocalists ready to go at all times and didn't hesitate to use them. They were very well rehearsed. Yeah, and I mean, they were, they're, they're consummately professional, no doubt about it. And, and I have to give credit to Trevor Rabin as a guitarist because this is the one example in this catalog where Steve is not here. Yeah. And, and and Trevor carries everything, and I believe he does uh, a good enough job where your many of your average concert goers won't even blink an eye. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, are there are there any particular licks that you craved, Paul, that you didn't get to hear in the guitar department? No, I think that's the brilliance of it, right? It's like he didn't play some, like I, you know, I'm I'm expecting to hear it, and like. So one example, and I, I, I mean, I don't know if I can, 
All is left for you. All is left for you. All is left for you. Now there's a guitar yeah. goes dun digga 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 digga. He doesn't do any of that, right? He's playing. He's playing along with Rick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, it's not there. I certainly miss it because I'm completely expecting to hear it. But it doesn't. It doesn't take away from the song. I don't think it doesn't take away from the version. It's you know. It's just a you know. And again, I think it fits into the whole point about what Trevor is doing. He's playing the song the way he hears it, and he doesn't want to be. Steve Howe, because he's not, mm-hmm. and he's not trying to necessarily, you know, copy him every every step of the way. So it, I don't necessarily miss anything. I just it's just an observation. Paul, that very section that you just described, I actually have a note down here that Trevor's sound during that section is creamy and delightful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well said. And, and I, I would like to give props to Lou Molino in the non-Jungle Drum sections. I think he plays this really, really well. Um, oh, yeah. L- Lou oh, Molino, yeah. as, a, as a drummer, I think is is absolutely spot-on phenomenal. And I, I would I would, um, I would would rate this drum performance overall as probably second behind Alan in uh, in... Uh, House of Yes. Nice. Nice. Solid. Mm-hmm. It's very it's very enjoyable. The length, however, in my personal ranking system, I was going for palatable production, palatable length, just a nice dose of the song without losing me or losing the average listener. So th- this does not necessarily need to be 22 minutes. We're all in agreement. Okay. It still fared very well in my rankings, but it was held back by the overall length. Well, I mean, think about that, right? That's an addition of seven minutes over the original studio recording. Fair enough. I mean, that's, you know, a long form song extra on an already long song. It's an extra almost 50%. So now, now if, if you're putting together a tour and you don't want to ruin John Anderson's voice and you're giving him extra yeah. breaks, hey, maybe that was a genius move. Yep. Not going to argue. But, 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 get- if, but if I have a radio show or I have to bring in, <laughs> uh, if I have to bring in a newbie to the yes world, I wouldn't necessarily crack this open. Mm, yeah, I would agree. It's really quite peculiar how things are shaken out on the spreadsheet, Joe. I don't know if oh, I want to really? tell you. Oh, well, I'm I'm, I'm excited. (laughs) It's really quite peculiar. Um, Well, let's, let's finish up talking about yes, 50 and then we can, we can fill in, in mine and see where things shake out. Yeah. Paul, that's, that's pretty much where I'm at. You know, we want to be generally positive here. We want to give props to these bands that we love and everything else. I will say that John Davidson on a positive note is Fucking up there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, his, his voice is... He's inc- fucking up there? His, he's fucking no, up? He, no, he's not fucking up. He is fucking <laughs> up there. His notes oh, yeah. are so fucking high. It is unbelievable. Um, but here's the thing that, you know, because we were there. We were in the room 
when this was recorded, because we were, whatever night it was recorded, we were there both nights. So we know we were there. When you're in the room with Yes, and you've got all this going on, and you're sort of carried on the wave of emotion of the music and the 50th anniversary and everything else, it's, it's very transporting, and it's very wonderful. But when you're sitting, you know, all these five, seven years later, in the comfort and quiet of your own home, listening to this recording through headphones, and you're like, ah, okay. Um, I don't think, back to my earlier point, John Davidson is a different type of singer than John Anderson. Paul, you called it out. We, we sort of have danced around this before, and I've made comments, you know, sometimes I feel like John Anderson is yelling at me, um, but there's that grit that he has that John Davison does not have. He is very smooth and, and airy and, and everything else. And so you, I think you need to mix different parts in with that than you do with John Anderson. And yeah. I don't think... I don't think, listening to this recording, I don't think Billy Sherwood and Steve Howe are the answer. <laughs> you know, all that I, said, are you saying? Are you saying that the three-part combination of Davison, Sherwood, Howe aren't... I don't think they mix... It here. I don't think they mix well vocally. At least not you, listening to this. Fair enough, but being there, I was... Thrilled with the mix, uh, right? Dave, right, yeah. Davidson Sherwood in particular. I mean, I mean, Steve only sings so much. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for that in insight. I, 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 in in this whole exercise, I must have listened to Yes Fifty Live three or four times and did not not tread those waters, shall we say? Really? I just okay. I just didn't feel the need to tear that apart. But now that you've said that, you've probably opened up a Pandora's box. Yeah, I, I agree with your characterization of John Davison, and it, and it's terrible because, uh, you know, it's like it's like what I said before, and I would apply the same thing to Jeff Downs, right? Like, I love Jeff Downs, love love him. How could you not? And 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 I love John Davison. I love the things that he does, and I love, I you know, I too had the same experience seeing them live, um, just really experiencing the songs and just absolutely being captivated by it listening to it in you know in sequential order with you know decades of other versions of of yes doing it all with john anderson singing it, it it's it's just hard like john davison can just it's it's the, the impossible ask to perform that song but do it as yourself mm -hmm. versus as you know an artist trying to imitate you know the original and um and unfortunately i think that that it you know jeff downs comes off a little bit on on that side of it as well and because i just you know just don't, it's just not my my favorite keyboard version of it i will say all that that said about john davison um uh I, I, as i recall at the yes 50 event the shows and the and the fan party uh john davison probably did have the most female companionship 
both by artist and fan alike. <laughs> so I don't, I don't think the lack of grit is hurting him any, any at all. I, 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 I don't know where machismo entered into this episode, but you're making, <laughs> you're, you're making me laugh. Um, I, I, after, after listening to uh, some of the John Anderson recordings, when I popped in Yes 50 Live, I found it incredibly uplifting. I, I really enjoyed John Davison's delivery. It, it, it was it was more meditative for me. Yeah, and a li- and a little less aggressive, and that's where I needed to be. The, I, I I have no problem with the tempo of Yes Fifty. I have no problem with the delivery. I can hear the words better. I I always find the phrase "gentle mass touch" to be a challenge. Yep. And and at the slower tempo, it resonates more with me. And gentle actually sounds just a hair more gentle. I, I experienced this song as the best coffee commercial ever. Awaken makes me think of coffee. And and gentle mass touch sometimes sounds like good to the last drop. I, <laughs> I don't know what it is. It just rings in my ears. Awaken, good to the last drop. There's something about being born in the '70s and watching TV just kind of rings for me. Um, but but I, I I I have these wonderful thoughts and these wonderful meditative experiences when I listen to Awaken, and and the Davison Sherwood Howe experience only enhances that. It doesn't detract from that. It's a beautiful thing. I'll leave it there. That's great, Ken. And I'm I'm glad that you have that experience. And I do think, like I said, there's there's a lot to recommend John Davison vocally. It's just he is fundamentally different um than John Anderson. Which is fine. Fair. True. True. In its own way. And that now, now you owe us some numbers, Joe, because because we're dying to see there, there, there's going to be a lot of tie break in here. All right. Well, what, you guys already have your numbers in the sheets, but why don't why don't you guys go through your numbers now, and then I'll give mine, and then we'll answer this question. Okay. So so Paul Paul and I are tied. The way that I ranked and the way that Paul ranked meant that we have inverse relationships so where i put a two paul put a five. Oh god really put, and where i put a three paul put a four and where i put a four paul put a three and where paul put a yeah, five i put a two so 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 so, so the, the the resulting experiences here is that we we agreed on only one of the five songs and and everything else we disagreed on and we disagreed in such a fashion that they're like polar opposites, which means that, Joe, you have the option to break four ties. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I can I can guarantee I'm going to break one of them. <laughs> oh, boy. Paul, do you want to read your list first? <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll go first. Before I do, I'm just going to make another shout out for the 1979 Chicago so Ken, first of all, thanks for putting that in the list because otherwise I would have completely missed it. But one of the best learnings that I that came about, and again, this is the magic of all of this, is that you can listen to the song. And what I'm about to say, you guys are probably just going to shrug your shoulders and be like, yeah, no kidding. 
But all of this time listening to Awaken, I had never realized that at the very end of the song, when he says, you know, here we can be, and it goes, it gets very nice, mm -hmm. and the bass comes in, doom, 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 doom. That, that rhythm is the same rhythm from the middle instrumental part that's yeah. on the eight-string bass. I, I mean, this is my favorite Yes song. And, and listening to it for so many years and loving it so much, to have that r realization just a day ago, it's just like mind-boggling. Like, how could I have missed that all this time? <laughs> so, and that's the beauty of the palaver, right? We have these experiences all the time. It, it really does enhance things. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so okay. So let's see if I can uh, get this uh, together. So, all right, my number five version is, of course, Yes, 50 live. Number four, uh, I, yeah, it's tough. I'm going to go with ARW. Um, mostly on the strength of the experience that I had at Union Live, which make, puts it at my number three. And then House of Yes comes in for me at number two um, because, you know, for me, the quintessential version of Awaken is the original on Going for the One. Beautiful. Kenny Beautiful. G? I had to allow House of Yes to go to number five, last on the list. And there are many, many reasons why this could be the best Awaken ever. But it didn't resonate uh, with me. Um, it's beautiful. I'll give you that. But I, I chose the chaos over Union Live. Hmm. Uh, uh, as my number four, uh, just just it, it it has energy. It has something to it. And then it, right in the middle, ARW that has its own personality and in, in, in energy in a different way that kind of makes us laugh, but also makes us feel things. Um, number two, I I truly connect with Yes Fifty Live. You call it the what is that when you're captured by the enemy and you become one with the enemy? What is that? That that assimilated. Uh, I became assimilated. Uh, that's poor uh, technology. That's poor. No, the German word. The German word for being captured by the Munchausen the syndrome. <laughs> uh, close. So anyway, um, I, I don't think that's the case with me. I don't think it's a syndrome. I think I genuinely resonate with Yes Fifty Live. It just has. A meditative experience and obviously the, the one thing that paul and i agreed on the 1977 going for the one is that I, I i could reasonably give this to a newbie and not lose their attention uh, yeah. just so, so some of the live versions are a little risky to give away I, I thought if there's anything i can rely on it's the original cool all right yeah i think i can i can uh, break some of these ties for you guys <laughs> Yeah, while I uh, applaud and admire your connection to uh, Yes50, uh, it's number five for me as well, because I do not connect with it. Um, I, and I, it's not just this. Quite honestly, I have found the same thing with topographic drama. Any of these recent vintage live records, when I listen to them, I just don't feel the same way I feel when I'm in the room. 
And, and okay. So, um, and it's interesting, right? Because we have four live versions here, and I think we've seen three of those four. In fact, I may, I have to go check my tickets. I may have actually seen, no, I don't think I saw House of Yes. I think I saw them on the Open Your Eyes tour. Um, so anyway, be that as it may. Uh, so Yes 50 is number five for me. Union comes in at number four. Um, you know, again, I think I agree with you, Ken. It's sort of slightly controlled chaos in a lot of ways. Um, and as much as I love Trevor Raven, he's a lot of the reason why I'm a little put off by some of this. I've got ARW in at three and House of Yes at number two, which it's unanimous. The original wow. is number one. Uh, the results are in, and we have no ties. Thank you for breaking the ties, Joseph. Well, true to our golf scoring, uh, the highest score is Yes 50 Live with a total of 12 points. And then we go to Union Live with a total of 11 points. And then we go to ARW with a total of 10 points. House of Yes. Nine points. Oh my god. And then are you serious? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That well, is amazing. Which, which means that the original really, really by leaps and bounds is the the undisputed winner with with only three points in our golf scoring scheme. That is amazing. Those are some yeah. those are some results right there, gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Joe, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to let this episode slip away. As a listener, as, as a longtime Yes listener, and, and Paul, you too, but I was thinking of Joe when this hit me. What do you do as an ally to Yes, as, as, as a true devotee, when you're in the middle of a beautiful song and you feel it going off the rails? Like, like... Do you, do you, like, even, there there was a moment in the Toddmobile piece where I was like, yeah, the orchestration's a little overdone here. It's a little crazy. It's a little, like, like, like even in the best of Yes, there, there are these just insane moments that no other band could get away with. Yeah, I think, I think that's totally fair um, for, for me, those those moments happen more often in the union thing. And, you know, like like Paul said, right, we have a certain connection to this particular song on that particular tour. And, and it's sort of like, you know, you don't want to go back and rewrite the history. The wonderful thing about Yes Music and these types of performances and, and you know, when things start to sort of go sideways there, there are two aspects here. Even when they do go a little sideways, I mean, you're still in such, you're on such a, usually a musical high anyway, that you can, it's almost like landing in turbulence, right? Yeah, you may drop a little bit, but you're not going to hit the ground. Um, so you can kind of get through it, just sort of wait it out a little bit. Or the other thing that you can do is there's usually three, four, five, six, seven, eight other things that are going on that if you're really, really annoyed with one thing, just look over here. 
<laughs> okay, okay, Joe, that's totally legit. Paul, Paul, do you ever have those moments where you feel a yes song going off the rails? I I think I do. Um, I do like the 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 turbulence um, analogy. I think I'm going to start using that in our palavers when I experience that. I'm just going to say I experienced some turbulence in that, <laughs> in that section. <laughs> yeah, I, and and I think that's. I think it's this is part of what is makes me connected to studio recording so much, right? It's like when I hear these things happen in the live setting, I'm just like, hey, listen to those cats go, you know, like listen to that. Sometimes I feel like that on Tales from Topographic Oceans. Certain parts, I'm just like, wow, listen to what they're doing there. <laughs> um, you know, because I love them. So I just, you know, it's like what they do. And I know that that, that kind of, um, it, it's it's going to get through that and get me to the parts that, that I that I really want to hear. Um, but but I do think sometimes there's a lot more of that in the live stuff, which is why no matter, it seems like no matter what we listen to, I always come back to to um, the studio recordings, with, of course, the exception of Peter Gabriel for some strange, odd reason. But yeah. <laughs> How do you handle turbulence, Ken? <laughs> I, 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 I do it for you guys. I, sw I, I, I swear, I swear, he just, I swear he just puts the song I, I, on loops eight times until he gets used to it. I, 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 I reach for the pause button, then I'm like, oh, yeah, it's for the flavor. Okay, all right, let it go. <laughs> that is oh, awesome. Boy. So, you know, here again, it's it's really surprising. Um, you know, there there are people I, I, I've known people i know people you know who think that any song longer than four minutes is completely unnecessary and you know i i like like we said we've literally spent a week listening to various versions of a 15 to 22 minute song and it's it's still it's still wonderful and i'll still love this song forever it's not like i've worn myself out on it um i i think it it is absolutely spectacular, and I've really enjoyed this exercise and and being able to look at this in, you know, in a slightly different different perspective. Because I think when we did going for the one, like it was it was almost by consent, right? Oh, a fucking awaken! It's wonderful. That's great. <laughs> um, even even though we did that episode twice, because that was one of the first ones I ever oh. screwed the recording. <laughs> <laughs> but but I you know we didn't I don't know that we really paid as much attention to this spectacular song as we should have, and you know many thanks to to Yes for you know keeping this in the catalog, keeping this in our our consciousness, and and providing us all these different versions. And you know as we've seen with Yes throughout the years, in whatever form that they are, and there's certainly been a lot, you know. As a general rule, and and I'm going to put Steve Howe at the at the front of this. You know, they're not generally too afraid of tweaking their songs a little bit to play them live, um, whether that's for their benefit or for ours. It, it doesn't really matter, um, but it, it does give us a lot of texture to consider. And you know, I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate the exercise. So this has been a good one, gentlemen. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. All right. So until I don't know what what the next episode we're going to do is. 
um, or what the next episode is going to come out is doesn't really matter. Um, we've got a bunch of different and fun things to consider. So until then, gentlemen, I appreciate your time. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions. To you, what is the definitive version of Awaken? Please let us know. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We are at ProgPala on all of those or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is ProgPala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening.